Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast for two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Hello, hello. Hi, friend. How are you doing? I am good. Coming off of a weekend, uh, I'm a group leader for the Nutritional Therapy Association, and it was wild. I can't wait for you to have your weekend because it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Was it? Yeah, it was. I mean, for me, I didn't have to take the midterm again, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been in a little bit of a different space. I have mine starting tomorrow, midterms tomorrow, so. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a long week when you don't get a weekend too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you've been all (laughs) over the place. lately. I feel like you're always all over the place. (laughs) It's really just been lately. I've been traveling a lot for work and then I have that one more trip where I get to see you in person, which is so exciting. Surreal. And then I think I'm just going to be done for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How does that go the further along you get with your pregnancy? Do you Do they kind of like cut you off on traveling and meetings and stuff? Or is that your call or? Yeah, it was my call with Connor. I cut it off only four weeks before my due date. So um, yeah, I was traveling quite a bit then too, but it's kind of exhausting. Like, like, yeah, I think we talked when I was at the airport Monday and there was crazy storms going on and it was delay, delay, delay. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm tired because of travel or pregnancy and it kind of doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it really doesn't. (laughs) Just all intermingled. So, Well, at least you're, you're in one place for at least a little while. (laughs) Yeah. But I am excited to get the midterm done with. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're going to feel so good when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm really excited about our topic today. (sighs) Yeah. I was just going to give one update. Um, it was a couple weeks ago that we recorded, even though the episode was a week ago for you guys. But uh, I just wanted to give a little update on the sleep situation. Oh, I know yeah. that was a big thing with us moving Connor into the big bed. It seems to be totally resolved. No way. <laughs> That's great. He's staying in his bed now. And he's still so proud of his his big boy bed. And there is no way we would have moved him into a bed if he wasn't crawling out. Um, but it, it did take a lot of work with him to to get him to this place of like explaining, yep, you have to stay in your bed. And we got one of those like okay to wake lights. Oh yeah, I've um, heard about those. Yeah, so we got like an owl that you can squeeze and it'll tell you like it'll be green if it's, time to wake up in the morning and it'll be yellow and say go back to bed if <laughs> if it's not like the alarm time or whatever so he seems really attached to the owl too like he's like like when we're putting him to bed he's like he'll turn green then I come to mommy's room and it's like yep that's <laughs> Um, but we kind of, we kind of introduced a whole new bedtime routine too, because we thought rather than trying to put him to bed and then dealing with an hour of him getting out of bed and us putting him back in bed, like let's put in a little more time with the bedtime routine, which, you know, isn't always the most fun. You're just kind of like hanging out and it's kind of a, a chore. I think it also gets me really tired (laughs) when you're doing the whole bedtime thing. And I'm like, wait, I still need time to myself after this. But what we started doing, so we have like red lights in our room, like bedside lights. And Scott reads him a story and I rub his feet. And 
that's kind of like the thing. And it's actually surprisingly, I really enjoy it. Like just this like family time in our bed. Um, and then, and then he goes to sleep. So I think it's, it's kind of a nice end of the day for all of us, like some family time. So I'm going to need all of you to come to my house and do that with me too. <laughs> Not my kid. I can give you all foot rubs. Uh, I actually started doing that with my husband too. And cause I, you know, I studied massage yeah. and I love doing it. It's just like making the time for it. So I was like, Oh, I think daddy needs a foot rub. And he's like, Oh, that's really nice. And then he's just like, Oh my God, I didn't know how much I needed this. <laughs> but at one point I'm just like, what's wrong with this picture? Like your pregnant wife rubbing your feet. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I also like buy a lot more massages and acupuncture and stuff like that than he does. So I'm like, well, whatever I can pay for it. And then I can, I can give you massages at home. So that's nice of you. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, that's, it's that's a, really it's a nice calm. way of connecting. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a really nice end of the day. So, and it's working to keep him asleep, which is, just as good (laughs) yeah (laughs) um because that was exhausting so I'm I'm very happy about that one good yeah how's everything on your end pretty uh things are okay I mean last week was crazy just being in a hotel for four days and you know you're in the basement and then you come up and it's dark and everything's confusing (laughs) the (laughs) hotel air I mean my skin was just peeling it was so dry but I'm feeling a little better now more in my element so I think that's good my mom was here with the little guy just to help out because Jonathan had to work on Thursday all day and it's just so sad when she leaves (laughs) I hate living far away from family because I grew up like an hour from my grandparents and all my aunts and cousins and stuff so and now we're about five hours and it's not far, far, but it's far for me. <laughs> so, because they're nice. still in Pennsylvania, but the other side of the state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Opposite ends, but yeah, yeah. Now just dealing with um, the little guy coming down off of the grandma high. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. We're all we're all feeling it, but all good things. Yeah. Well, you got holidays coming up. Hopefully, that's more family time for you. Yeah, for sure. We're already counting down. So. We can't wait. Nice. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'm excited for today's topic too. This is something you and I connected on really early on, just our approaches to I guess parenting. Like it, it's considered a parenting method, but um yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, and talk it, about your experiences. Yes, I am too. I really am because there's a lot of variation, you know, with of course, our backgrounds and our kids, but it's, it's, it feels kind of weird to call it a style of parenting, even though I know that it is, but it just, I don't know about you, but for me at first it felt, I don't want to say unnatural, but my only instinct, well, I won't get into it, but it, um, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, I know we're going to talk about it, but it's, it's just so, it it just seems like the way it is now. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but (laughs) But yeah, that's probably because it's been two years. Yeah, but you know so. what? I don't really know that I was actively putting this into play. And I don't know if it was just my stress. Because I knew this is like, I mean, I was doing it, but it wasn't the only way I handled situations. But it was more like okay. myself, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we were pretty in on this from like when he was like two days old, like is when we kind of found it and connected on it. So it's been a pretty, not that it's everything, like you said, we're not perfectly following any kind of method to a T, but um, just kind of guiding the way we think about things. So, so with all that vagueness, (laughs) we're talking about aware parenting, um, which is kind of a subset of attachment parenting. And I will say that I am not any kind of expert on any parenting methods. <laughs> I I can't even say like I finished all of the books that I read on these subjects. Like I <laughs> I read them, but I don't know that I read them cover to cover. Um, but it's just it's something that's 
I'm really drawn to and I've been looking for more information like on other podcasts or um yeah and it's just brought about some great conversations with my husband so I think the basics of attachment parenting are creating that bond between parent and baby and often it's it tends to focus more on mother and baby, but it's not just that. Um, so they're big on things like baby wearing and co-sleeping and things where the first priority is making sure the child is secure. Um, so I actually don't know a ton about attachment parenting either. I don't know if you have any color to add to that or. No, um, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's what I know about it is they, emphasize those methods a lot of like how to form secure attachments with your kid. Um, And then aware parenting is kind of an offshoot of that. And that's, that's kind of what you and I have done with our kids. So. Mm -hmm. um, I know the biggest thing for me was crying. It's a big thing in aware parenting is crying. And for me personally, that was, I remember it used to feel like I was crawling out of my skin when my son would cry and I didn't, it was just my instinct to stop it. And I knew that I shouldn't be stopping it. I didn't want to distract him. It didn't feel right to distract him. It didn't feel right to tell him to stop because there's a reason. Every behavior is a communication, but in aware parenting, crying is a form of stress release. And when you think about it, how would you feel, and I'm sure we've all been told this, right? From the time we were kids, you have an emotion. Maybe it's not the quote, right thing to be feeling that an adult or somebody else thinks you should be feeling. And they they tell you to stop. Oh, um, be a big boy. Oh, big girls don't cry. I mean, how many times have we heard things like that growing up? And and probably even still now, we're, we're raised to think that emotion is something that should be hidden or push down. And that's what I really like about aware parenting with, with the baby stage, especially it's not silencing it. And it's also not crying out. It's not putting your kid down and walking away and just letting them scream. Don't get me wrong. I have been there where I felt like nothing else was going to work. So I had to take a couple minutes and not a couple minutes, maybe just a couple seconds. It felt like minutes probably, and just walk away and take a breath and then come back to him. Um, but you are making your child feel safe and secure. It is the big thing in aware parenting is that you are providing them that safe space to feel their emotions and let them know that it's okay. Like I said, not distracting, not silencing them, just kind of feeling it with them. And I found once I really tuned in and I didn't have to try that hard, right? I mean, you think this might be this hard kind of process, but it's, it's there in you the first instinct might be to stop it. <laughs> but whenever you are, you realize that there's nothing bad or wrong with a baby crying or a toddler crying, you kind of feel it too. And you can, I, the coolest thing for me has been processing my own emotions, even some that I didn't necessarily know I was feeling with my son. And I don't know, it just, just the evolution of the start of aware parenting and to now it's been pretty cool so yeah I think like one of the big ideas around aware parenting is that your baby is a person and their feelings need to be listened to and respected and it's not your job to fix them um so like you said it's more of a communication than then you just deciding like, Oh, there's something wrong. I need to fix it. Um, and that's kind of that classic, like the man, the man's way of dealing with emotions, like that you see all the memes of like, uh, the woman just like wants to talk about how she feels and the man's like, you know, how do I fix it? So, um, so that's kind of the idea is that the, the baby is a complete being that knows their needs and you're listening to them. Um, and it is, it is hard to think about a newborn baby in that way that, oh, the baby knows what they need and they need and they just need to get it out. <laughs> um, 
But I think for me, like I said, we found this on day two and it felt extremely relieving because I think our, our instinct and it probably comes from how we were brought up that there is this instinct of like, Oh, I need to fix this. Like what's wrong? Uh, Why is my baby crying? How do I, yeah, I I don't know how to say it other than how do I fix this, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to assume that the baby needs something and then it puts it on you to do something versus just listening to your baby. Okay. You need to cry. I'm here for you and I love you. Um, but I think the tricky thing about newborns is they use crying to communicate. I need something and I need you to fix it. And they also use crying to say, I have some things to process. I need you to listen to me because they can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I think as a new parent, it was relieving to not think that I had to fix it. And then that it meant we were doing something wrong that he was crying. So I agree. And I think that was my biggest struggle at first. I was, and I've mentioned this so many times on the podcast and I will continue to do so, but I suffered severely from postpartum anxiety. And I mean, it was crippling. And I think that was my mentality at the time was what am I not doing enough of? What could I be doing more of? It was just this like constant train in my head, just something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And then when I figured out, okay, no, this is just what it is. And it's, it, it was a relief. You're absolutely right that it wasn't all on me. All I could do was be there and make sure his needs were met. And if those were met and he was still crying, I was there for it. And yeah, it was okay. But man, at first that was rough. <laughs> and can I ask, when did you find Aware Parenting and start like starting to use the concepts? I I knew of it before I had him, but I think I was just so deep into that postpartum space um, with the mental health issue that I I wasn't really thinking, if that makes sense. It was just kind of more of like a reflex to assume that I was doing it wrong and a reflex to fix it or want to fix it. (laughs) So... I'm trying to think when I actually, he was probably just a few months old when I really like took a breath, maybe, maybe five months, four or five months, but okay, yeah, a little longer thinking back than I thought it was, but it okay. was, yeah, I was pretty deep in that space. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the, the reasons they say that baby is need to cry to communicate something they could need warmth or they're hungry or they want to be held they want to connect with you or they could be crying just because they need to heal Um, so there's some sort of physical or emotional hurt that they had and they just need to express that and get it out and the idea around aware parenting is as the parent, you're creating a safe space for the baby to process these hurts. Um, But obviously if there is a need like a wet diaper, you're not just letting your baby cry and not taking care of that. But it's, it's not a long list of things baby needs. It's pretty easy to go through that, make sure the needs have been met and then, assume that yep they just need to cry to process something and there's a lot of things like the emotional hurts like you know it's not it's not like adult problems where somebody called them a name or something it's like overstimulation is a big one for babies like you brought them around a big group of people you're passing them and they seem fine but they might just later need to process that and that's the only way babies can get it out is crying. So, yeah, that was a big one for us personally with when my son was born, it was just the two of us in this little, well, the three of us then in this little apartment. And then when we would bring family, when we would go home to visit family, he would just scream and cry. And I never knew why. And then, you know, at first, and it's like, wow, he, I mean, he got really overstimulated going from two people in a quiet apartment to 30 
40 people passing him around. So, but I think what's been great is when you do allow that processing space for baby, they do tend to be in a good mood when they're in that space. Like they're able to be okay, feel safe in the big group, but it was a lot and they know they'll be able to process that later. And then they're back to being happy the next day because they got through like, oh, that was kind of hard. Um, they're, they're just able to get past that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny what used to frustrate me or make me question. Now I see it as such an honor and just to be that comfort, to be that safe space for my son that he wants to come to me and cry. Like he trusts me that much that I'm the one who he goes to and his dad sometimes too, but honestly, it's mostly me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your mom. So yeah. Well, you're also with him full time. That's true. Which is funny. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think he wouldn't want to be around me anymore. But, <laughs> but you're his safe space. Yeah. Like, and I love that. And it's, it was such a cool shift in me as a parent to make, but yeah, and, and it I will say it is a big shift because I was brought up with, I'll just share, my dad was kind of the don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about, like this authoritative, don't want to deal with emotions, this is the way it is, and like very rules-based, and if you're not doing what I'm saying, you know, that that type of attitude around parenting. And my mom, and I still see this in her, she can't deal with negative emotions. Like she wants to pretend they don't exist, which um, I don't understand. And I've, I've touched on this a little, but I went through a lot of mental health issues in like high school, college years. And to me, that really... I'm seeing how that could have played out because I didn't know how to deal with these emotions that I'm having, like being a 14, 15 year old kid and going to my parents. Like I had, I had nobody to listen to me and just say like, Oh, this is normal to feel this way. Like my mom just trying to tell me like, no, you're not, you're happy. Look at all the things you have. Like Mm -hmm. it really doesn't, it's not helpful. (laughs) Like somebody to tell you that you don't feel the way you feel. So I I think for me, that's a lot of where my instincts came from is, and that's how they treat my baby and how they would teach me to parent is like, you need to fix this crying. You need to stop it and let's move past it. And I think that was pretty common when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. My husband's parents are still like that. My in-laws, yeah. anything negative, they just, they, they truly, it, it sounds like your mom. I mean, I don't know. They just like freeze and they don't know how to act okay. around a negative emotion. I mean, I remember my son being really little and we were changing his diaper at their house and he's crying. He's ticked off. He didn't want to be doing that. And my father-in-law was saying, oh, you're fine. Oh, it's not that bad. It was just like, please let him emote. <laughs> He's upset and that's okay. I mean, even with a child, they it's it's interesting to me. It really is. It is interesting, but I it's also like before I had a kid, I literally had no idea this existed and I would have assumed that was the right thing to do. Like you're yeah. fine. You're yeah. fine. And that's what all the other moms seem to do. Like the kid falls and it's like you're fine. And it's like maybe, maybe he isn't that fine. Like maybe that really scared him. And yes, now it just seems so weird to tell a kid how they feel to me. Oh, like now that we've been raising our son this way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Even if they don't have a broken bone, when they fall to your example, they could have been scared. They could be frustrated. Maybe there was something we didn't see. So-and-so pushed them or something. And, you know, I agree. It is, it, it feels unnatural now to say you're fine (laughs) right so what we do more now that he can talk and express things is we'll ask him like are you hurting or is it scary and he'll say it was scary 
and I'll say, are you still scared? And he'll be able to say yes or no. And if he's saying yes, then he'll start crying again and he's just getting through it. And as soon as he, like kids want to be happy, like as soon as he's gotten past it and he's like, he'll just bounce up. I'm okay. (laughs) I'm happy now. And he can identify his emotions and know how to act with each of them because we, we talk through that with them. Like, Oh, that is really scary when you, when you lean back and you thought something was going to be behind you and you fall, you fall on your head. Like it's scary. Mm-hmm. And we, we will try to use that as teaching too. Like, here's what happened. You were running and then you stepped on a book and the book slipped from under you or whatever it is. But we're not, we're not even putting that on him first. First, it's like, let's deal with how you feel. Mm-hmm. And then when we get past that, we can kind of go to the rational part of our mind. Um, so, yeah, I think it's hard to, you can't be in those two spaces of your mind at the same time, the rational side and the emotional side. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It really is. And I think it's so, great too, to attach their feelings to words, especially when they're so little. Oh, you're frustrated. Oh, or, oh, oh, was that frustrating because blah, blah, blah. Oh, that was scary because, because then they're kind of learning too. Right. You know? Right. Because now my yep. son can say, <laughs> he'll say, you're, because he calls himself you, you're frustrated. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> you know, if I take something away or tell him the N-O word, how dare I? <laughs> he can tell yeah. me. Which I think is great because then he's not screaming and crying. I mean, maybe he is, but then I, you know, we can process it together. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. So with babies, the different ways of like the silencing, the crying, like how that would look like it can be bouncing. Like you're trying to stimulate the baby by rocking or bouncing them to make them stop crying. It could be nursing for comfort if you just are doing that to get them to stop crying, it could be using a pacifier, which obviously is something very common that uh, people do to stop their kid from crying. It could be distracting them with something like jingling a toy in front of their face to let's pay attention to this instead of whatever, whatever you're feeling, or it can be ignoring them. So walking away and kind of doing a cried out kind of thing where um, that doesn't necessarily silence them, but it does put them in this place of it takes away this safe space for letting their emotions out. It kind of just leaves them isolated. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then it starts to look a little different as kids get older, but that was kind of the baby piece of it. And so we chose not to do a pacifier because like I said, we read this early and uh, I think we might've tried it a couple times, like at his baptism, but he was five months old already and didn't know what to do with it. He kind of just like chewed on the side of it (laughs) because he wasn't used to having one. Um, I think it's really rare where you actually do need your kid to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Like, it's usually your need that you can't deal with listening to them cry. And that is something that I think takes an adjustment. Like it's not a super easy thing to just deal with. Um, And what we kind of did, there'd be periods where he would cry more than others. And I think when he was three months old, that was like a time period where it was like 45 minutes every night. He just really cried and we kind of just had a system where we switched off every 10 minutes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so identical to what we did okay so yeah I would sit and cry with him and then my husband would come and switch off and so we didn't ever get to this point where we couldn't take it and if we did again we'd have our partner to switch off but uh, most of the time it wasn't it wasn't like a daily thing like that and it certainly isn't now it's pretty brief with a two-year-old now but 
So that was just something we did, but it is, it does take some getting used to. And I think you touched on this, it like almost takes being able to deal with your own emotions because you almost then need to process like processing crying with him. <laughs> like it, Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, it now becomes something that is difficult that you're going through. Like, wow, it was really hard hearing him cry for 45 minutes versus like, you know, give him a pacifier, make him be quiet, and then I can move on with my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt so but, much better too after we would cry together. Uh, go figure, right? Like, I get my <laughs> thing out, he'd get his thing out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd be happy. Yeah. So I think as baby gets older and they're able to talk more, it does look a little bit differently it's not just holding them while they're crying and I think the idea around the 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 crying in arms with aware parenting is holding them while they're crying creating that safe space not quieting them but you also don't have to do a whole lot like every once in a while I would kiss his head and say mommy loves you mommy's here but you just really are there for them. Um, and it does look differently when your kid starts to talk and it becomes more of a two-way conversation, I think, of, yes, I'm listening to your emotions. I will answer questions. But still the basic premise is kiss you on the head and I'm sorry you're sad. I'm sorry you're scared. Like, And letting them express what they need to express. So, yeah. So I, and I think one of the, this is kind of a tangent, but one of the biggest takeaways from me that was super powerful was just realizing that that was what I wanted from my husband was I didn't want him to fix it if I needed to cry. And honestly, I'm not a hugely emotional person most of the time, but postpartum I was crying all the time (laughs) (laughs) and I'm kind of trying to prepare for that again but so I'm going through this with my baby and I'm you know things were tough like things were tough in my marriage just you know you're not sleeping you're all these hormonal changes and breastfeeding and everything that's going on, it's just really hard to feel like a person. And so I was crying a lot. And as I'm going through this with my son, I realized this is what I want from my husband. I want to be held and to be told, I'm here for you. I'm sorry you feel this way, but not try to fix it. Because you can't, like, if it's postpartum hormones, they're not going anywhere and (laughs) no. So it it was just really powerful for us too. Like he treats me in a different way and he can listen to my emotions in a way that he couldn't before we did this together with Connor. And that's been really special. Yeah. I love that. That was certainly an adjustment for us. My husband is a type one on the Enneagram and he, he's, he fixes this. He just fixes everything. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, he, he actually read the book and I know this isn't specifically aware parenting and I don't know if you've read it, but it's called the awakened family. I don't remember the author. It's a great book, but it really helped connect him to some childhood stuff that was going on and kind of understand where I was coming from when I asked for him to not fix it or just listen or whatever. And it's changed our relationship for sure as well. I, I, yeah, I'd recommend that to anybody. Okay. (laughs) But also just having the conversations, you know, because I'm the type of person who just tries to take everything on and roll through things and not ask for help, but telling him exactly what I needed, go figure, (laughs) change the game. (laughs) So. Yeah, I really love that. Yeah, just this focus around communication in general and around emotions. Like, 
it's kind of relieving sometimes to not have to explain why you feel a certain way. Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times in a marriage, or at least in my marriage, it's like, I'm just exhausted and I can get really critical of my husband. And you're almost trying to blame your feelings on something that's happening because then it is something that you could fix versus like, honey, I'm exhausted and I don't feel loved. And it's, it seems like silly to say that, but it's like easier than saying like, you never compliment me. you never do this anymore. Like, I don't know, just like that shift of, here's how I'm feeling and I'm going to be raw and you're going to be the safe space for me to feel that way. I think is just really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily anything he did that made me not feel loved. Like that's just how I'm feeling. And I don't know. It's just sweet to, to be held and to be set. It's just to be told I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'm here for you and I love you. Like, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's just been wonderful for us. I, I love so. that. Because it doesn't I think be these are grandiose thing, you know? Like, you don't need flowers and chocolates every day. You just, you need that space. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's you know, the books didn't address these things. Like, they didn't oh. tell us. Um, and here's how you might also apply this in your marriage, but, uh, maybe yours did is a family book, mm-hmm. but at least the aware baby did not cover this. And it was kind of an unattended, unintended consequence where you're just thinking about emotions in a different way. So yeah. I just, I love that for our family and I'd love it for my bond with my son too, because I really know that he has the safe space and that he feels loved and he feels heard. And I, I think I'm still his safe space, even though I'm not a primary caregiver like you, because I, I tend to be a little more, I don't know, a little more responsive, like just to his crying and um, then maybe my husband is, but he's great at it too. Like he's totally embraced it. And my son will talk to him and I I love seeing the two of them together too. Yeah. Mine is a total daddy's boy. So it's very special. Very special. Well, and for us, it is a little different because we're his primary caregivers, but my mom and my mother-in-law both spend about as much time with him as we do. And they did not take to the aware parenting philosophy. This was mm-hmm. something I talked to them about before I went back to work. So I went back to work at six weeks postpartum and I tried to talk to both of them about here's how I want to raise my kid and this is what we want to do. And it, they just couldn't get there. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was. And it was, I think neither of them neither of them necessarily deal with these negative emotions. Like I I told you about my mom and she does it with my son too. Like uh, the other day we were at her house and we were leaving. Like I was picking him up. We were going home and he wanted to play this computer game at my mom's house. And he was really sad. And he said, I'm sad. And I said, you're sad because you don't get to play your game and you want to. He's like, yeah, mommy won't let me play game. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're going home and I'm not going to let you play the game. So I'm respecting how he feels. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're sad. And my mom goes, you're not sad. You're happy that you get to go home and see daddy. And I I just kind of looked at her and I said, you're telling him how he feels. And she's like, well, yeah, he's happy. He wants to see his dad. And I'm like, but he just said he was sad. Like, don't you think it's a little weird that you're telling him he doesn't feel the way he's saying he feels and she doesn't see it. And just like growing up, it's like, oh, like it's, it's actually teaching me a lot about 
how I was treated growing up too, because I know that's how she was with me, but I never saw it play out in this external scenario like that. And, and the same thing with my dad, like he, he fell, like my dad put him in this box, like some sort of big box. And then Connor leaned and like the box fell over and he hurt his head. And so I get that my dad kind of felt responsible for it because my dad walked away to get my mom because he thought it was funny and they were just playing together and they play really well. My dad loves him and I picked him up and I let him cry and I said, Oh, you got hurt. And my dad's kind of next to me like, Hey, do you, do you want this? Do you want this? Like, Oh, you're okay. And it's, I kind of looked at him and I'm like, dad, it's okay. He, he falls down, but just give him a minute (laughs) and so it's yeah and so they don't respect like they don't respect it but they also don't get it so it's hard I don't know yeah (laughs) I see I see that exact thing with my in-laws I know exactly what you mean yeah so and I think I've seen the same thing from my mother-in-law I don't spend as much time over at their house um, I think she really tries, um, but I think the crying is hard for her because it's it's seen as oh I hate seeing him sad like let's mm-hmm. let's get him back to happy as soon as possible um, let's let's fix it because I like it better when he's happy and yeah we all do <laughs> right <laughs> but but I guess I I'm okay with that because he still has this opportunity to process with us and he still has a safe space. I think he's still learning his emotions. Um, So I would have preferred if we were all on the same page, but I guess I'm kind of okay with that. Mm -hmm. But it's just been interesting to see play out because I think you do need to have a certain level of emotional intelligence about your own life to be able to, to allow somebody else to process around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. So, um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about sleep because I think this was another big benefit that, you know, it's not the intended consequence of this necessarily. Like, you want to create the nice space for emotions anyway. But a lot of times, like babies that can't learn to comfort themselves are waking up in the middle of the night or they can't get to sleep or they're kind of restless. Um, and my son was a really good sleeper. Uh, he was sleeping through the night at about 10 weeks and I credit a lot of it to this crying piece. And it was just something that I think every night he really needed to process this out, get his cry in, and then he would sleep extremely soundly. And if he got up in the middle of the night, basically we we did schedule feeding and sleeping his entire life. And I am not going to say that's the way to do it. Like there's, there's certainly merits to following that just following whatever you want to follow is fine for us. That was a big priority we had decided on before we even had the baby that we want to get him sleeping through the night as soon as we can. And because I knew I was going back to work at six weeks, we just had to do do what we could for survival. So we kind of had the, we did the baby wise where it gives you a schedule of, I think when the baby's first born, it's every two and a half hours and there's a cycle of um, eat, what is it? Eat, sleep, play. So you play or no you're not you're not feeding them to sleep so it's eat play sleep um and it would kind of just like give you all these cycles and then it would tell you here's the signs to look for when they're going to drop a nap because I think it starts with like 
seven sleep cycles a day or I don't know what the division is when it's like your baby's ready to drop a nap at it's usually between six and eight weeks or I don't know exactly what it is but I didn't even read that book we just used the schedules and it was really helpful for us to kind of know like here's how we can reasonably expect to get baby to sleep longer stretches in the night yeah (laughs) um so and I think we were both really committed to it because again that was just a big priority to us as um I have enough troubles sleeping on my own that I didn't want to get woken up when I was asleep so mm-hmm. um so yeah I think this was kind of this this was really helpful to us is that he if if it was time for sleep and he needed to process something like that was when he did that it was right before the sleep time uh, where they they are more vulnerable when they're tired and I think there is something that just lets them sleep soundly once they're able to process that. And then I think the other piece of that is opposed to like the pacifier thing. um, A lot of babies with a pacifier will wake up in the middle of the night or they drop their pacifier. They can't soothe themselves back to sleep where I think a lot of babies who learn this approach where they're, they're, kind of dealing with their own emotions they are able to get themselves back to sleep part of that is probably the thumb (laughs) like my my son's a big thumb sucker still is because he never had a pacifier so and he's actually really into hair which is um something I don't think I've seen in other kids but like his way of soothing is he he pets my hair and sucks his thumb like he wants the hair that's hilarious or, I, I used to do that when I was a kid I vividly remember doing that really <laughs> you just made me oh my goodness flashbacks <laughs> that's so funny because he he'll do his own hair if he doesn't have anybody um but it's kind of creepy because my mom has him sleep with a wig at her house <laughs> Like, Whatever works. Like, I know, I know, but it's like, and we don't have anything. My my mother in law has a doll that has hair that he'll stroke, and yeah, my mom has the wig, and it's like at our house, it's like I'll lay with him for a little bit, and he'll grab my hair, and then I just like move his hand over to his own head. Um, so it's uh, it is a pattern, and I've I've kind of looked into that, like, oh, should he be? crying like instead of soothing himself with these things and I think as long as he knows the space is available if he needs to have that outlet it's okay but um yeah it is kind of funny but (laughs) it probably would just be a pacifier if we had given him one but now he has this this hair obsession um and he doesn't like wearing a hat because he can't drive he can't grab his hair now that it's getting cold so sweet so um yeah but yeah he he definitely learned to self-soothe and if he like if he's playing now and he is in this like overstimulated space he knows that he just comes over to my lap sucks his thumb strokes my hair and then he's ready to go back and play again like he just like needs a minute to collect himself so I think it just kind of helps with like he knows what he needs to recover and just like get back to where he's able to interact with the other kids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wish I had um, a good sleep story, but <laughs> we we tried everything, everything aside from hiring a sleep trainer. I mean, all the things that I was comfortable with, we were not comfortable with cried out personally. Um, so we didn't go that route, but my kid would not sleep. He just wouldn't, no matter how much processing time he had, no matter the schedule we try. I mean, I think it was, we lived in this house. So I think, I think he was 17, 16, 17 months, maybe when he slept through the night for the first time. I mean, the first time I think he had done it maybe two or three times in his whole life up until that point, but it was the craziest thing. Very, very, very draining, but 
Yeah. Just so nobody feels bad if, you know, you're trying all the things and it doesn't work for you. Some kids just don't. And it was a little frustrating for me at first, but then I just realized this is who he is as a person. And this is just bonus time with him, I guess. (laughs) Well, and I will disclose, and I don't know, I'm sure there's some people who are going to disagree with this. Um, We, like once he went through the night without being fed like once or a couple times I stopped feeding him when he woke up and I would I would still wake up to pump at night for quite a while and I would give him that the next evening so I would breastfeed and then give him what I pumped but I wouldn't feed him when he woke up because I didn't want him to like need to wake up to eat <laughs> so Um, so I think that's a hard thing to do because your baby's waking up. Maybe they are hungry, but like we would have to do that crying in the middle of the night to like let him process, go back down until he was kind of used to not getting fed. And then he would, he would sleep through the night. So it wasn't like once he started sleeping through the night, it wasn't consistently every night, but we just stopped feeding him. So. Um, so yeah, I, and I'm not saying that that's like, that there's a formula and you can for sure make it work for your baby, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I don't know. It's just like, you know, obviously we're having another baby and it's just, it would be devastating to me if you're just like, well, if you don't, if you follow the schedule and do all the things, like it might not work. And I'm like, no, it it has to be based on a formula. (laughs) (laughs) That's well, just how I, I am. People always joke that the second kid is the reason you stop having kids. And I always said, I got my second kid first. So I don't know what's going to happen down my road, but <laughs> yeah, I'll cross my fingers. Well, the thing I'm, I'm really worried about is we're in a two bedroom. Mm. So we'll have the baby in our room for a bit, but I'm going to attempt to have them share a room. And I've definitely heard that they will wake each other up. <laughs> Um, so that'll be interesting. I might be on this podcast a year from now being like, yeah, I had no idea what I was talking about. I got lucky (laughs) with my first kid. Everything's good in theory. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, all I can share is that that worked really well for us. And I think the crying in arms and the aware parenting was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So my one data point. Um, something else I wanted to share. So we were talking about the book, The Aware Baby by Aletha Solter. And as we were progressing, like towards having a, a more of a toddler that talks and things look a little different. And it actually is harder to get that cry from an 18 month old. They're just kind of busy. And I would find even like with the temper tantrum, you'd listen to them, but it wouldn't last that long. So they might not be getting this release that like, I I got so into this method of the crying and believing in the getting the stress release from the crying that I craved that. So when he stopped getting that, it was like, he'd kind of have these pent up frustrations and he'd be more irritable. And I'm like, ah, I just want to get the cry because then he'll be happy again. Cause that was our experience uh, when he was younger. Like it just, it really, really works wonders. <laughs> and once we couldn't really get that anymore, I was really worried about what do you do if he's not crying? Like, um, and that was something I actually did consult with somebody about it because this all happened. I want to say it was 17. He was 17 months old where he stopped sleeping very well. And he also wasn't crying and he would kind of like go straight to the thumb. And so I consulted with an aware parenting expert. And so it was just kind of like, you can guide the thumb away from their mouth and just say I'm here but you're also not going to be forceful and uh, she started recommending another book called Attachment Play 
which probably starts to come into play more when they're talking and they're starting to play. I think really now that he's two, it's amazing. And it's a way for them to get their emotions out through play rather than just crying. Um, so I'm just going to talk about a few like basic things from that book. I'm only on chapter three, <laughs> but um, just talking about this with my husband and like recognizing the types of play that he's engaging in and like how to really pay attention to like, is he using this as an outlet for his emotions has been really interesting to us. So a couple of the the types of games in this attachment play, there's contingency play, which is where uh, the kid does something and you react in a predictable way. So I think like a lot of us play this way, like the kids think it's funny to just keep doing the same thing over and over. Like they, they put their feet by your nose and you're like, Oh, that's stinky or like whatever it is. <laughs> and you keep doing the same thing over and over. And they think it's hilarious, like way after you're bored. <laughs> <Yeah>. But um, <laughs> for kids, that gives them power in a way. Like usually they're having to follow your lead, but now they're getting to get this response out of you from initiating this play. So that's kind of something that plays out. Like it's a, it gives them control. And they say that that makes kids more willing to accept limits in other areas if they're able to get this kind of play out like where they get, they get a turn to be in charge kind of. Uh, and similar to that is like a power reversal play where, I mean, maybe they're doing something like pushing you over really lightly and you pretend to be hurt or like, um, you know, I have a little boy, so guns. <laughs> like, oh, really? <laughs> pretending to shoot. Do you not do that? No. <laughs> Oh, I'm not judging I, you. We just haven't done that. No, I know he loves, he loves it. And I'm just like, where did you get this from? But <laughs> I, I boys, man, they just find a way. <laughs> I know. And now we've just kind of gone with it. Like he loves playing with guns. Um, not real guns. <laughs> Important disclaimer. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, it it is what it is. I'm I'm judging myself a little, but <laughs> no, <not> judging. <laughs> but we're doing it. So so that kind of play where they're they're like getting a reaction from you from something they're doing. Uh, there's symbolic play where you're acting something out with props. So like you could have the monkey going to school or the monkey sitting on the potty or like doing something from their life, and they can they can make the monkey like react in different ways. And then there's regression play, which is like where they would act like a baby or um, crawl around or get held. And regression play is really about getting this like devoted attention from the parents, like where you're really caring for them and supporting them. And uh, so a lot of times you'll get that with, when they don't feel like they're getting enough attention, it's like, I'm a baby, you need to attend to me. But a lot of times that comes up with when you have another baby and mm -hmm. they're like, I want to be the baby. I want, I want to be the one that you're playing with. So um, something that's just been really interesting with us, with Connor is he's been playing a lot lately. This, um, Oh, and this wasn't one of the ones I mentioned, but like where you like a peekaboo kind of game where they leave and then they see you again and you're happy to see them. So they've been playing a lot of, or Connor has been playing a lot of like, I'm going to work, mommy's sad. And so he's kind of playing out where he's pretending to go to work and I'm pretending to be sad. And I think it's something with him starting school, maybe it started coming out a lot more where he's getting dropped off and the grownups leaving. Um, so, and this is something I might not have in, 
engaged in as much if I hadn't read this in the book. Like, but now I'm recognizing this as he's dealing with this and he's actually doing really well at school. Like the first week was a little, like it was a big adjustment for him. And now he's running right in and he says like, yep, grandma will come back after, after school or whatever it is. And, but he's, he's playing this out at home a lot more. So he's pretending that's what it always is. He pretends to go to work. He leaves, he closes the door and then he comes home and I'm happy to see him. (laughs) (laughs) And he wants to do this over and over and over. Um, He works in Chattanooga. (laughs) Oh, wow. We what? went there. Yeah, we went there in August and he's just like he loves the word and like everything's Chattanooga. <laughs> That's a great word. Like every time he sees a map, he's like, Where's Chattanooga? <laughs> so yeah, now he's like, I'm going to work. I'm going to Chattanooga. And then he leaves and comes back. So So that's just interesting for us. Like and I was traveling, as we mentioned, I was traveling this week and Scott said he wanted to play that quite a bit when I was gone or like mommy's 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 going away. Connor's sad or, but usually it's Connor's going away. Mommy's sad. So I'm the one who's pretending to be sad and getting left behind. Mm. Um, so it's, it's just really interesting. And I don't think there's, I don't think we have to make a ton of sense out of it. We just have to pay attention to them and play it out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're working through it in their way. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's actually like, it seems to us as adults, like the best thing to do is talk through it, like make sense of it. Like instead of of playing it out, we have a tendency to want to say like, oh, you're sad because mommy goes to work and you get left. Like, like rationalize it but they actually don't need to do that. Mm. Um, yeah. But like the play is enough for them to process it and move on. So it's kind of like when the, when they're babies, it's the pro the crying. So. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, th- I do that with my kid too. And I think it's just really important whenever they're working through, whether it's something like that, or they're just playing with their trucks or something to not interject yourself whenever they are engaging in that play, just yeah, not rationalize it. Like you said, it's just let them work through it, let them play it out, whatever it is, and not try to take over that situation because they don't need that. They're perfectly capable of making themselves feel comfortable or engaged on their own. Just given that. And just work through stress. Like they don't, they don't need to talk about everything like we do in words. Um, And then that, that was one thing they said during the in the book was when you're in this play state, avoid stopping the play to teach them things. So don't um, like you're, you're playing out something and you're like, Oh, that's a block. What color is that block where you're kind of like, like there's other times for teaching Mm -hmm. and that's important to do as a parent. But if you're like, trying to do this processing play like don't interrupt it to direct the play like you're the idea is more to like let them lead and then play it out with them so yeah so I think that's been really cool now that I have an older kid and we still definitely have this foot in our way of parenting where tantrums come up we stay very firm like <laughs> yesterday I brought these cinnamon rolls home two of them made it home from Dallas and it was from like my friend that owns a gluten-free bakery and I wanted to share it with him and he like loved the cinnamon roll and he was so happy and then I went to take a piece and he shouted at me and said no and he didn't want to share so I took it away. I said, well, this was for sharing. You can't have it then if we're not sharing. And he cried and he, he, he's not angry at me when he's crying. He still wants to be held and process his feelings. 
and I'm there for him and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, but I had to take it away because you weren't sharing. So it's not about being soft. Like you're still keeping your limits very firm, but you're just letting them cry. Um, if that makes sense. It does. Kids need boundaries. They get very yeah. confused if you do this this way this time and this way another time. And if you say, okay, I'm going to take it away now. And then you didn't take it away. What is that teaching them? What is that showing them? So yeah, it's not about yeah, it's, giving sorry. them their way every time. <laughs> that creates a different kind of monster, I think. <laughs> right. Because it's kind of the same thing as like distracting them when they're a baby, like putting a toy in their face, like they start crying and you're like, okay, never mind, you can have it. Like yes. you're actually stopping them from that processing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually very important to keep the boundaries. And it, I think it just like, I don't know, it's, it's just really, it's cool as a toddler too. I'm not afraid of a tantrum. I embrace it. I hold my kid if he wants to be held I listen to him if he just wants to do whatever and they don't last that long and they he he has processed it when we get to the other side when he's done crying like he will bring up later that day like mommy takes cinnamon roll away and I'm like yep mommy took it away because you weren't sharing and he the the emotion is out of it he's not angry he's not anything he just is saying like here's what happened and he's learning these rules, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just so cool. Yep. Yeah, we just had that experience today. My son hasn't been wanting hugged or comforted lately. Whenever he gets upset, I'll, I'll offer it. I'll say, I'm here if you need a hug. And he'll say no. And he'll put his hand up and he'll kind of just not push me away, but just very firmly say no. And I'm like, as a parent, just saying, yes, you tell me, you set those boundaries yeah. for yourself. I'm not going to force a hug or a kiss or whatever on him. I, I've, I've been... I feel very strongly about that, even though he's little. And this is a side tangent with the holidays coming up. My kid doesn't have to hug you or kiss you if he doesn't want to. No means no. I don't care how small he is. So I was very proud of that and excited by that. Like tickling. It's like mm. I've seen a uh, one of his grandparents like tickle him when he's on no tickles and the grandpa will still tickle him. And I'm like... Connor, what you, all you have to do. And I obviously said it in earshot of this grandpa so that he would get the message. I'm like, Connor, all you have to do is say, grandpa, I don't want tickling. Like, I don't want you to tickle me right now. Mm-hmm. And they'll listen. And I'm, I'm telling him it's your body. Exactly. Yep. So. That's, that's so important, but well, this was fun. Yeah, I love this. This was a great. I could I go think on. We covered all. a lot. I don't know. I don't know how well we presented the topic, um, but yeah, I, I just think it's so cool, and I really recommend to every parent, whether you're a new parent or this is something you want to start incorporating with an older kid. I think it's so worth looking into. I agree. So. It's never too late. It's it's just not. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you liked what you heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.